SequelCast 2 and Friends is part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. For more information, go to greenlitpodcast.com. This is a vintage episode of SequelCast 2 and Friends. Audio quality may not be up to current standards. We apologize for the nastier audio artifacts. I hate to bother you, but we're from the United States. We're staying at the Royal Imperial Windsor Arms. Royal Imperial Windsor? Very nice hotel. Well, yeah, we like it. It's a little small. Yeah. Well, you uh, you go back the way you came, and you just uh, keep going to... Oh! Oh, my God. Oh. I think you've got a bad cut there. we better get you to the hospital. It's just a flesh wound, honestly. Are you sure? Nothing to write home about. Okay. No need to bother, matron. Did you say left or right up there? Uh, just a left, yeah. Oh! 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 oh, maybe it's broken. Oh, no, 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 no. It's just a leg, honestly. I've got another one. After the credits roll, there's always more to tell. Hello and welcome to the sequel cast. The sequel cast is a podcast that looks at movies in a franchise one film at a time. And we're in the middle of looking at the National Lampoon Vacation series of films. This episode we'll be looking at European Vacation. With me is Thrasher. The sequel cast is going to Europe. The sequel cast is going to Europe. Thank you, Thrasher. And uh, You're welcome. You can check out our past episodes of SequelCast at www.sequelcast.com. And the sequel cast is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet. You can check out uh, other Battleship Pretension podcast fleet podcast at battleshippretension.com. And our theme song was written and performed by Mark with the C. Check his stuff out at markwiththec.com. So, uh, yeah, uh, as I said, we're talking about these vacation films over the next few weeks. And uh, this time we're looking at National Lampoon's European Vacation, the second in the series, directed by Amy Heckerling, who's also directed Fast Times at Ridgemont High and Clueless. Uh, screenplay by John Hughes and Robert Klein, based off a story by John Hughes, starring Chevy Chase, Beverly D'Angelo. And uh, this time around, as the kids, we have Dana Hill as Audrey Griswold and Jason Lively as Rusty Griswold. I'll, Do you think they stack up to the original kids? Uh, I don't, and we'll we'll talk about that as we go on. Uh, there's a cameo in here by Eric Idle. The music is by Charles Fox, cinematography by Robert Painter. This came out in uh, the U.S. in July 26, 1985, running time in 95 minutes. In the U.S., this made $74.9 million. So not quite as much as the first film, but still very, very good, especially when you adjust for inflation. And I always do. Do you, do you, do you find that useful when people adjust box office for inflation? Well, it's... To a certain extent, I, I do think it's important because, you know, the ticket prices change, yeah. market values change. Um, it's, it's, it's kind of like, you know, if you look back at uh, – if you look – now, mind you, this was true in the 90s. I bet it's changed now. But, like, for instance, if you if – you, like, back, uh, back in the 90s uh, when uh, Titanic came out, there was a, a – uh, a film critic went back and did a study comparing film budgets adjusting for inflation. Yeah. And one of the interesting things he found out is, again, this is as of the 90s, it may have changed, but adjusting for inflation, Cleopatra with Elizabeth Taylor was still the most expensive film. I thought it was made. Gone with the Wind. It's Cleopatra? 
well, th- this is what this is what the film critic uh, okay. uh, found. Gone with the Wind is certainly up there when you adjust for inflation. Um, oh, indeed. No, but I, I think that's really interesting to kind of look at those numbers. I agree. I like that sort of numbers crunching side of it too. So, when did you first see National Lampoon's European Vacation Thrasher, and have you ever been to I- Europe? Uh, at the time, I had never been to mm. Europe. Uh, I don't remember the exact year I saw it. I'm pretty. I feel like it was the early '90s, and the first time I ever saw it, it it came on. Uh, it, it it had come on uh, network television. Uh, I, I I guess as like a Sunday night movie or, or some yeah. such, and so uh, I watched it. I think my family's there, but I don't recall their responses. Okay. For me, the first time I watched this was like a few years ago. I grew up with Christmas Vacation and Vegas Vacation, but I'd never watched the first two until fairly recently. And uh, I have have never had the chance to go on a European vacation in real life. And I've always wanted to go to Europe. I've been to uh, South and Central America. I've been to um, Asia. Japan. Yeah, Japan specifically. Uh, But, you know, I've never been to Europe. And I've always wanted to... um, so I, I'd love to do that someday. My wife uh, and I have a, a friend that recently got married and moved to uh, England. So, and of course, a lot of our sequel cast listening audience is based uh, either out of uh, England or Australia. So, not that Australia and you know Europe are the same thing. I'm not saying that, but those are both places I'd like to visit. Uh, I, I don't. Th- I don't think anyone. Uh, inferred that from your statement. No, that's just how my mind works. It's crossing uh, the wrong wires all the time. Although, when it comes down to it, uh, Asia is the same thing as South America. Very good. It's true. Asia is the uh, the South America of the Pacific. There you go. So, Oh, speaking of Pacific, and I hate to derail uh, this so early, but I am still having a sustained orgasm from it. Have you seen the trailer for uh, Pacific Rim? I did just see the trailer for Pacific Rim Job. Oh, I'm sorry, Pacific Rim. And uh, oh. the upcoming Guillermo del Toro film. You know, I'll, I'll have to hold judgment. Uh, del Toro is always very good in the visuals. I think, you know, the way the trailer was, I like how it's still vague with all these close-ups. But every damn uh, movie action summer trailer nowadays has that damn dubstep music. That's not his that's fault. Not, no, that's, that's not his fault. But, I mean, it just makes every trailer just sort of run together in my head. But, but, hey, but you know what it had that every other trailer for a big-budget action movie didn't have? Heart? I could tell what was going ah, on yeah. in the clips from action <laughs> sequences. No, it would be very uh, curious to see. How it does, you know, it's it's an original property. It's not based on anything, so I I do hope it does. Uh, no, it's well. based on the past seventy years of. Giant yes, Monster it's inspired films. by the Japanese kaiju films like uh, Godzilla, um, Mothra, Gamera, yeah, and so on. But there's also there's also quite a bit of Go Nagai influence in there. That's all well and good, but we're talking about National Lampoon's European Vacation here now. I, I know, but yeah, I, I I'm sure. that in any longer. That I'm blown No, all, all my Twitter am, feeds uh, I was following, and you can check me out on Twitter at SequelCast or check out Thrasher at Internet Mayor. Uh, it was all blowing up with, oh, my God, Pacific Rim, and all throwing the links around, so I had to watch it. Uh, <laughs> but you did. You opened the show, Thrasher, by asking, did I think the actors playing the kids was good in the first film? And you still – have you had a chance yeah. to see the first vacation yet? Uh, just just the bits and pieces. Just the bits and pieces you remember. Throughout the years. Um, I think Jason Light... I can't find it on DVD Yeah, it, it's, you know, it's an older movie. Those are sometimes tough to find. Uh, Jason Lively, as Rusty, I think 
is pretty good, and he looks kind of like Anthony Michael Hall in the first film. He has kind of the shaggy hair and stuff. And uh, between these movies, they never keep the child actors the same, uh, with the exception of Christmas Vacation 2, Cousin Eddie's Island Adventure, which <laughs> I had the chance to watch yesterday. Um, oh, but did that, you that's, that's something we'll, we'll, leave, we'll touch on on our Vegas Vacation episode. All right. But uh, Dana Hill is Audrey Griswold. In this film, in, which is different from the others, in that the character of Audrey Griswold is fat, and there's a lot of fat jokes uh, with her character. And that's just so inconsistent with the other ones, it kind of throws me off. Unfortunately, Dana Hill died uh, in her early 30s from diabetes-related complications. Which is a really... I mean, what do you think of the kids in this one? Audrey and Rusty. Well, you know... Well, this is the, what... It's probably going to sound pretty odd. Yeah. Is that whenever I think of the Griswold children, I think of them in this... Really? Movie. I think of this huh. particular version of them. For for whatever reason, like, I, I, I'll admit, I've never been particularly impressed with any of the renditions of the Griswold children. Mm. But this is always the one that sort of stands out in my mind. And I think actually what makes it memorable is that uh, is that a- Amy Heckerling seems like a young Nancy Cartwright. And I'm such a huge fan of Nancy Cartwright. It just makes sort of an association like that in my head. I think that's where it comes from. You think the director, Amy Heckerling, is like a young Nancy Cartwright? Oh, I'm sorry. Not I, – I'm – Credit the 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 wrong <laughs> the wrong person. Oh, Dana Hill as Audrey. No, da- yeah, Dana Hill. I'm sorry, Dana Hill. Yeah, Dana Hill reminds me of a young of a young. She Nancy does sound Cartwright. quite a bit like Nancy Cartwright, and Nancy Cartwright might be better known for listeners primarily as the voice of Lisa Simpson on The Simpsons. I'm glad you didn't give me a chance to cut you off because I would say you may remember her as Pistol from Goof Troop. <laughs> and she had a part in the Paul Verhoeven medieval uh, epic uh, Flesh and Blood. And she was also, uh, pardon me, she was also in the Twilight Zone movie as a girl who becomes trapped in a cartoon. And she was in uh, Stephen King's Maximum Overdrive? No, that's uh, that was Yardley Smith. Wait, Nancy Cartwright is Bart Simpson. No? Yeah, Nancy Cartwright Okay, is I Bart said she was Lisa Simpson. Man. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's yeah. Right. Yardley Smith is Lisa okay, Simpson. Sure. I think we may, this tangent may have established the quality of this film. Uh, in our well, minds. what was the first vacation movie you've seen? Because you said you've never seen the first one, which we talked about last week. Well, I've never seen the first one all the way uh-huh, through. You've seen Pete's uh, The first one I ever saw was Christmas Okay, yeah, no, that's the same with me. So, um, yeah, so European Vacation, I think it has, um, you know, something I think it misses that the other vacation films have. Not that these films are all that believable. There's a cartoonish quality to all of them. But the first one, it's a family vacation. The second one, you know, they're staying at home for Christmas, having family Canover. And the third one, they go to Vegas as a family on a vacation. This is a a prize that they win off the game show Pig in a Poke, hosted in a... Bingo. Yeah. You have, t- you have tapped into something, because that was... that That is key... That, in part keeps me from kind of investing a lot in this movie because on because you know ha- having actually been o- overseas there's there's something sort of very humbling and very important to the experience of desiring that kind of vacation saving up for that kind of vacation yeah. you know 
get, you know, get, getting over there however you can, uh, you know, doing doing whatever you can to save money, whether it's pounds or lira or whatever, but still trying to experience as much of the nation as possible. Right then and there, by having them win an all-expenses-paid vacation to Europe, you not only remove some tremendous sources of conflict, but you remove a whole experience that could give the audience more sympathy with the characters. Right. You know, this situation is thrust upon them. This isn't a decision Clark Griswold made. It's not like, oh, I want to... I need to do cons- consulting with the European branch of my food additive company, uh, so let's go to Europe. Which in itself would have been really interesting, because that's an- another thing this movie is missing. It really doesn't have much story. It's just kind of set pieces and gags, w- which is okay, but I kind of wish there was some sort of conflict or through line that really linked together this this movie. Speak, the scene yeah, speaking about the kids in this movie, I, I listened to the audio commentary on the special edition uh, DVD of European Vacation. Yeah. And Chevy Chase does the commentary by himself. And he kind of repeats himself a lot. I feel like it's the first time he's watched the movie uh, as a whole. And, yeah, out. probably since it came out. It would, I actually like those commentaries. Well, you know, if they have someone to bounce off of, they can talk more throughout this. He sort of repeats himself a lot but he does point out he he feels that the the nudity and some of the sex jokes in european vacation are not appropriate to the theme to the sort of overall tone of the series as a whole and the first uh vacation movie was rated r for language and you had some some nudity and this one uh, european vacation is rated pg-13 and you have nudity in there uh as well well, I think that's in part because the PG-13 rating had finally been established by the time this came out. I mean, did you think did you think this movie felt more crass than the other ones, or you know, more? Is that uh, part of the European flavor? I didn't feel it felt. I didn't feel it felt any more crass at all. And in fact, we'll we'll talk about this when we get to that scene. But I actually I actually like the the sex in this movie. Okay, so we'll uh, we'll keep that in mind. Put that in our back pocket for later on in the show. I keep my sex in my front pocket. You're a front pocket man. Some people are more of a, a back pocket. Uh, I'm a front you're pocket a front man. pocket man. I'll, I'll keep that in uh, in mind. So, in this film, oh, oh but about the game show. Yeah. Scene, does the game show work for you? Cause no. I they go in this game show, pig in a poke, which requires them to wear pig these outfits. pig costumes. What the hell is that game show about? How do you win that? I don't know. It's uh, you know, it is nice that you get a cameo from. The original Gomez Adams himself, uh, John Aston, oh, as the yeah. game show host. But yeah, you don't have an idea. It's sort of like a, a Jeopardy show, kind of. But they're dressed up as pigs, and you you get a, a cheap looking animated uh, theme song for the show. So, it's uh, yeah. I don't think it works. The whole set looks kind of cheap, and I'm I'm sure there's some satire there that I'm missing. That's probably the point. But it, it's not a great well, opening for the movie. It's weird because because like. Cause like a, because a few years later, the the game show Double Dare would would uh, premiere on U.S. television, yeah. and just like looking at that, if if this film had waited a few years or that show had come early, I think you could make that show work. If while in the pig costumes, they had to do some sort of crazy physical stunts for prizes that would involve getting really well. Dirty. That's one thing Chevy then Chase makes sense. And Chevy Chase has always been great at physical comedy. I imagine if they had done it like that, that oh would yeah, have been a wealth of opportunity. Uh, Sure, I, I think that scene is lacking, and I mean, but yeah, as I said, it's not in the opening credits. Even they just play, you know, the same uh, Holiday Road song 
from the the first film, just over the opening credits, where it shows him stamping passports and stuff. And it just sort of reminds you, oh, yeah, this was the song from the first movie. And You know what I would have yeah, done? Yeah, what? I would have I would have done an updated version of that song <sighs> where each verse was in a different language, but in a language that was in that was the language of the nation where the passport was stamped from. So when they stamp it with the with British, it would go, "I found out long ago. It's a long way down the holiday road." Well, I'd make yeah. it sound like Brit pop, like maybe like Oasis. Oh, or I see. Not not terrible, uh, Cockney as I'm trying to attempt. <laughs> we watch your national lampoons European vacation. We are, we are. Up the apples and pears. M Emery, M Emery, M Emery. Our tail is as okay as okay can be. Yeah. That's, oh, good lord. <laughs> that's, that's, that's quite terrible. I'm sure if UK listeners, if I'm doing a, a terrible, terrible job at imitating uh, Dick Van Dyke from Mary Poppins, let me know. Well, the thing the thing is, the worse your impersonation of Dick Van Dyke and Mary Poppins, the better it is, because he does such an overblown stage Cockney accent that I don't think anyone's ever had. Certainly, it was a big criticism even at the time the release of that film, but we're not talking about Mary Poppins. We're not talking about <laughs> Pacific Rim, the trailer. Day, we're talking about National Lampoon's European vacation, <laughs> ostensibly. Uh one nice ongoing cameo in the film, we really enjoy Eric Idle as sort of the accident-prone oh, yeah. guy they keep on running into. They accidentally knock him over, and he says, like, oh, no, oh, no worries, it's just a scratch. Uh, what we, he's, so, well, he's so polite and so self-deprecating, and <laughs> just, like, I, 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 it, really, it, it really is kind of a nice comment on that, uh, that you know, stereotypical British politeness. Now, now, have you ever been to England, or where have you been to in Europe, Thrasher? Because I believe... Uh, I've been, okay, I have been to, uh, to, to London. I've been uh, to a couple of different places in Scotland, uh, including uh, the area around Loch Ness. Uh, I've also been to Italy. And now, did anything of this film remind you of your European vacation in real life that you went on? Uh, I guess, y you know, now that I think about it, no, but that's in part because of the difference that's created between these characters who have an all-expenses-paid yeah, right, and, and me, who has a limited supply of cash sure. and doesn't know when he's coming back. <laughs> has to really make sure yeah, he's not going overboard. Got to stretch out those uh, euros, or it would have been. Oh yeah, might not have been euros well, at no, the time. It was, the euro standard uh, it, uh, was wasn't even a gleam in anyone's eye at the time. This was back in the nineties. Okay, so tons of different currencies all around. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. No, I think that stuff is is funny. You get some uh, interesting cameos in in the hotel where they stay at. And at the beginning, you know, they get um, Robbie Coltrane is the man in the bathroom who's in there as uh, Beverly D'Angelo as Ellen Griswold is taking a bath and she has her eyes covered and she's thinking she's surprising uh, Chevy Chase, but she's actually surprising Robbie Coltrane. Oh, yes. And actually, uh, the, uh, uh, the... Actually, one thing I did really like in... Uh, was the whole the the running well not running gag but that that whole uh, set piece where uh, they've got a car and Clark gets them trapped on a roundabout and keeps pointing out and look, there's Big Ben. Hmm. I think there was some truth in that scene. 
have, having had to negotiate some roundabouts, they can be – they are really tricky if you're an American So did driver. you get to drive when you were in uh, England? Uh, th- thankfully, no. Yeah. There's actually a place in Georgia where they use roundabouts and one place in Kentucky. And those ones screw me up. So I can't even imagine how difficult it would be if I was uh, trying to negotiate a roundabout. Did you hit any roundabouts when you visited me in Portland, Oregon a few years ago? Uh, you don't think no, so? Okay. Although Jason uh, handled all the. Driving. Ah, okay. But th- no, there is a few roundabouts in Portland too, and they took a they take a bit getting used to. I can't imagine driving on the other side of the road, as it is in Eng- in you know Europe and most elsewhere in the world. I think I'd have an easier time doing that, just knowing the way I drive. Okay. Um, <laughs> I really love. There's a throwaway line where they're driving to a hotel or something, and uh, Chevy Chase says. What does the one of the kids is asking? What does the queen do? And Chevy Chase responds, "She queens and vacuums." <laughs> I like I like that. That's kind of that's kind of the the, the lame sort of joke. Apparent. It it right. is yeah. I can really see the that that works as both a cute joke that's safe for kids, but it also works as a, a truthful moment. Did you like all the jokes in the film of uh, Audrey missing her boyfriend from the states? And upset that he can't come with them. And, like, there's a scene where they're eating sausage and she sees a big sausage come towards her mouth and she says, oh, I miss Rob or whatever his name is. Um, on the one hand, yes, I do like her pining for her boyfriend. Although I would like to see more of her and Rusty kind of, like, getting involved in, in like, some sort of romantic or flirty relationship with some locals. That being said, like, th- like the whole sausage gag... That kind of makes me uncomfortable. Yeah. She's, she's still a Yeah, kid. I think that's what Chevy Chase was objecting to in the commentary. Where you, later on you get a scene in Paris where Rusty is kind of flirting with some prostitutes. And he's at a topless can-can show that he sneaked into. Oh, I know I would be. Yeah, I think, but that's... I don't know why having, like, a, a guy in that situation seems to be less... Uh, I don't know, throws me off less than seeing a girl. Well, I, I think... I think what it what it is is that at least at least you know knowing the way I am in my history, uh, I I tend to pursue certain things. So if I so if you know in that age, if I did get involved in some sort of romantic uh, entanglement with, with a woman, it's because I wanted it and I went for it. But you know if when when you see uh, a female character do it. Or, or get involved in that. There's always this, in, in, at least you know, in, in the, the back of our, the back of the brain. There's always something telling you, oh, she's being, she's being forced into it. She's not, she's being receptive to these advances. She's not going out and and looking for this kind of attention to begin with. Sort of active versus passive. Yeah, I guess it is, yeah. and 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 yeah, that is, and and frankly, you know, that that is quite sexist. Uh, but it, at the same time. She she's not that inspired of a female character, and that, that's a really tough balance in all these vacation films. Is you have the the adults, uh, you know, in this case play, played by Chevy Chase and Beverly D'Angelo through all four films, and the kids, you know, played in this one by Dana Hill and Jason Lively. And how much of the story focuses on the adults and the kids? It's always going to be more on the adults. The kids are always on always more in the fringe, and they're not developed as well. And so, which is yeah. a shame. Because with them on a vacation in Europe, you have so many opportunities to tell a coming of age story for both of for both of the Griswold children. You know, I would I would love it if both the 
the kids had something really good to do and and learn something very important from their experience. And there's some jokes in here that I think they're pretty good, but then something in the way they're set up gives the gag away too early. For instance, uh, there was a scene, I believe, when they're in uh, Germany and they're looking at some uh, Griswold relatives. They're ostensibly going to visit them. And, oh, it's uh, apartment hotel, house number 16 is the address. And as they go into the house, you see a, a close-up of the address. And it looks like 16 and like the part of the tree brushes out of the way. And you see, oh, it's 3016 instead. And it gives away the joke right before they get into the house where it's a whole thing of misunderstandings. Where if, yeah, where, where they, they have like a whole dinner uh-huh. and sort of family reunion with an old couple that isn't even related to them. And I don't even think that's the best way to execute the joke by, by having more of the sign revealed. I would I think that joke, and this is probably the graphic designer in me speaking, but I think that joke would work much better is if the, the address numbers were done in some delightful German font that they didn't understand mm. how to read, and they just assumed it was 16. But it's just really elegant letters that maybe say, like, 1B or something like that. Or you could have the reveal happen after they leave the house. And, oh, yeah. and I do like the punchline in there where, you know, all the stuff is subtitled and they they sort of are told, like, who the hell were they? I don't fucking know who these good people were. You know, they're at their own house. <laughs> but it's kind of undercut by... Revealing that so early, it doesn't work as well. I also, I really miss the character of Cousin Eddie, who's in all the other vacation films, played by Randy Quaid. He's not in European Vacation, and I don't know what excuse they'd find for him to be here, but he's such a great character. Well, so funny. I, I could think of a couple of reasons. Uh, one, he could be hiding out in some European country to escape extradition for some weird thing. Or, perhaps he signed up for a stint in the army and he's stationed in Germany. I don't. I think him playing off sort of the stodginess of a uh, England or, or the the snootiness of the French uh, it would be really amusing to see, and that's sort of a missed opportunity. But it makes you appreciate him more when he appears later in Christmas and Vegas vacation. Yeah, actually, uh, another thing that that didn't quite work for me in this film because you know there's lots of. The, you know, we talk about how it's a, a bunch of interconnected set pieces, yeah. but so many of these set pieces end with the Griswolds doing a tremendous amount of damage. The, the one that the one that was used in the trailer, all the uh, and all the advertisements being them knocking over Stonehenge like a bunch of dominoes, which is a pretty decent visual gag. Although I think that would work better in an animated film than in live action. Yeah. And it's just like they're really they're leaving a whole bunch of potential international incidents in their wake, and that's something I didn't like. That there was absolutely no consequence for the untold amount of damage that they're doing. You know that gag I wasn't crazy about. Where I think the film goes more downhill is towards the end. You have this subplot they introduce kind of out of nowhere, where there are these uh, thieves that you know they capture uh, Ellen Griswold, played by Beverly D'Angelo. And then uh, Chevy Chase's Clark Griswold has to rescue her. And you get these chase sequences. And just it feels like a totally different movie. I mean, I, I do like the twist where at the beginning they're filming. He's filming a porno of his wife on the big bulky videotape uh well, he's, he's not even filming a porno. It's just them having sex. It's he's he's got one of the, he's got one of the original camcorders, yeah. and he's sort of fi- filming a flirty video, and she's flirting back, and it's and it's really sweet and really honest. I I think that works great, but of course the camera gets stolen, and then later, 
uh, that's now become a stag film called. I think the I think the literal translation of the title is like the slut in the shower. That's what they see on the yeah. billboard. Uh, I think that's a good gag. But all this, do you think this stuff works with her being captured? Because I don't. It just feels not forced. Not really. and... I mean, it's. I talked about this on the sequel cast blog, but that's what I call raising the stake through the heart, hmm. where. In, where in order to raise the stakes, you come up with some contrived, ugly thing that has nothing else that adds a lot of danger, but has nothing else to do with the rest of the movie. And I think part of the problem is the thing with the thieves does literally come right out of nowhere. It's not as if when they get their prize, they're even told, oh, be careful, there's crooks in Europe. But, like, if, if that's going to happen, it ought to come from something like... You know, for instance, what if the Griswolds were tricked into smuggling something into Europe in in their luggage that a crime syndicate wanted? Like, then you have a reason for 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 a criminal element to get involved with them. But it really, it's just it's just tacked on to so you can have an action packed ending that doesn't need to be in a comedy film. I mean, frankly, a mu- a much better ending would have been the Griswolds like getting separated in a train station and ended up getting scattered across the country and all racing to try to get to reunited at the airport so that they can all travel back home as a family or something like that. That would be believable. Well, and it would tie into the story as well. I think uh, you're absolutely right, Thrasher. And, 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 and as much as I've bagged on this film, there are some scenes I like. I enjoy the slapstick where. Uh, Chevy Chase is dancing with the Bavarian dancers, kind of doing this oom-pa-pa dance oh, on the, stage. The slap, the dance. slap dance, yeah, is pretty fun watching him trying to join in and all the comic timing in that is pretty good. On Apocrypals, we talk about the parts of the Bible that a lot of people skip over. Like the wizard battles. The angel jacuzzis. A goat full of sins. 500 drunk elephants. And a man named Porky Party. And yes, that's all really in there. All this and more on Apocrypals every other week on the Greenlit Podcast Network. Need some adventure in your life? What Mad Universe is a podcast about the history of sci-fi, fantasy, and horror, where we delve the depths of pop culture history. Everything's the same politically, but we have ray guns. The the actual motive isn't to explore something that's, quote, yeah. scientifically possible. Or... But neither is Star Wars, and I know there's arguments about that, but I would definitely consider Star Wars science fiction. You haven't it's... read Dune! You have... No, I haven't. You can never be the Kwisatz Haderach. What Mad Universe on the Greenlit Podcast Network. And if it be called European Vacation, you kind of hope they'd go to more places. I don't know. Well, I mean, there, that's one of the tricks, though. I don't think you could ever go to enough places because there's so many iconic and important locations in, in, in Europe. The, the, the Vatican, the Louvre, uh, uh, the, the French Riviera, uh, any number of historical sites from the First and Second World War, the Tower of London. I mean, the, you could you would never run out of places to, to for them to have set pieces in this movie. And, and frankly, you could never run out of, of gags to happen at any of those places. I would, I would love to see Clark Griswold accidentally imprisoned at the dungeon at the tower of London. You know, I would love to yeah. see them. Uh, I would love to see some sort of physical comedy buffoonery happen at the Louvre that, that puts some priceless paintings at risk. No, I think all those would be pretty, Neat ideas. Oh, you know what else I would yes. love? I would love them to go to, to Venice and to have, like, Clark get offended or confused by the people who do the living statue routine in the streets during certain festivals. That, that'd also be great. Uh, you know, one thing that was interesting, I was looking up and seeing when European Vacation came out in the United States in 1985. And uh, it was the number one movie that weekend it came out, July 26th through the 28th, 85. 
what do you uh, want to guess were the other movies in the top five if European Vacation was uh, number one? Uh, one of them was a Rambo sequel, maybe? And one of them was a Rocky sequel. There was a Rambo sequel in the top ten. Uh, so, but number one, that in case you listeners want to know for history's sake, number one was European Vacation. Number two was Back to the Future. Yeah. Number three, E.T., the extraterrestrial. This was a re-release of that film. Number four? I saw that. Oh, okay. Uh, number four was the uh, Disney cartoon, The Black Cauldron. And uh, number five, Mad, Ma- Mad, Ma- Mad Max Beyond the Thunderdome. Uh, the Mad Maflagelgen Hummin and Show. The third film. And you mentioned there was a Rambo in there. Rambo was number eight uh, that weekend. But it had been out for ten weeks at that time. So that's sort of interesting looking back. Historically, what was around around the time? Well, I think Back to the Future and E.T. certainly hold up better than this film. Yeah, it you know, it, it could be funnier. I like the poster artwork. Again, it's done by Boris Vallejo, who also did the poster artwork in the first film. And they're do, they're uh, doing those it's, similar it's poses, great. too. It's great, but it really is the same gag it is, as absolutely. the first poster. What, what's really missing is I think it should be showing more iconic European buildings in the background, uh, not just the Eiffel Tower, the Colosseum, and Big Ben. Like th- There should be more buildings, uh, and probably some mayhem going on in the background. Yeah, I think uh, this mo- if this movie's plot would have had a little bit more focus and maybe a few more character moments, you might have cared more about what happened. and uh, It just is not as funny as I would expect from a Chevy Chase movie around this time, 1985. Yeah. Is there anything, any things you like about this film? Well, I mean, that's, that's the thing. Uh, every, every sort of individual scene, there is something I really, I really like about it, but they just don't work together as a, as a whole movie. It's like all the ingredients are perfect. They just don't cook well together and, and make a, they don't make a meal. Mm. Um, I guess I guess the, the thing the one that stands out probably because it is the most iconic scene in the film is the Stonehenge scene because on the one hand I think it's a brilliant gag on the other hand by the time I saw this film it was totally played out because it had been used in the trailer and in all the all the ads but then three destroying Stonehenge is su- would be such a big deal I'm actually offended that it never comes back uh, it doesn't affect them in any way. Yeah, there's not uh, a lot of payoffs later in the film for what they do early on, other than Eric Idle repeatedly showing up to get bumped into or knocked over into the fountain. And uh, yeah, but again, he, every time he's on on screen, he's, he's very good. Was was this the beginning of Eric Idle appearing in every movie? I think it might have been. He certainly was in a lot of movies doing cameos, <laughs> uh, like in the '80s and '90s. I, I really, but it finances his music. Yeah, I really hate the last shot of this film. Where they're flying back to uh, America, the America the place they're from, and uh, <laughs> you know something happens, and the and the airplane crashes into the Statue of Liberty and knocks this torch upside down as it flies off. Another really broad, cartoony moment. That's uh, yeah. Again, th- th- that causes, I-, I suppose, from a physical standpoint, causes even more problems than Stonehenge knocking over. Because when you look at Stonehenge, you could imagine how it could fall over by well, the age of it, too. But there's yeah. absolutely nothing in the Statue of Liberty that would make its wrist articulate and go downwards. And in fact, the only way I think that gag, you know what else? That gag doesn't go far enough. Because not only does the hand turn downward, it should drop the torch so that we get a thumbs down from the Statue of Liberty. 
mm. with the plane vanishing over the horizon. That I would that I think would improve that gag. Yeah. Oh, before we wrap up our thoughts on National Lampoon's European Vacation, let's take a minute to talk about our affiliates and, and so forth. So if you go to our website over at SequelCast.com, not only can you check out episodes of other uh, franchises we've covered on the sequel cast, such as Ghostbusters, Gremlins, Highlander, Smokey and the Bandit, Teenage Mutant... The Two the Jakes. Two Jakes uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and so much more. You can check out our sister shows, Sequel Commentary, in which we do audio commentaries for sequels or occult films, and um, Sequel Cast Special, where we kind of talk about movie topics at large, sometimes related to sequels. We have one... Uh, you know, we did one recently, like on 3D movies or the films of Mel Brooks. Those can kind of go all over the place as far as what we cover. And um, there are some links on there if you like the show. We'd like you to check out. If you click on the donate button at the top of the page, you can have an opportunity to donate to us via PayPal. Uh, doing a podcast isn't free. Uh, every little bit helps. You know, goes to pay for production costs of the shows. Helps pay for us to to rent movies to to watch on the show and do contests and all that sort of fun stuff. So if you click on donate and click the PayPal button. We'd uh, really appreciate it. In fact, we had a, had a donor recently, uh, Ben, from uh, Australia. So thanks very much for that, All Ben. Right. That was excellent. M- uh, very much appreciated. Uh, if you like SequelCast, but, you know, you don't want to spend all the time downloading episodes, uh, you can try a, a, an app called Stitcher, which SequelCast is available on. And Stitcher is an app for your smartphone or computer where you can listen to podcasts streaming on the go. So you can listen to it instantaneously. You can uh, sign up for Stitcher at stitcher.com slash SequelCast, and SequelCast automatically gets added as one of your favorite shows. Uh, also, if you go to SequelCast.com, you can buy SequelCast merchandise like pins, mouse pads, T-shirts, a flask, and all sorts of goodies through our Cafe Press link. And uh, we got... Why not ruin someone's holiday with some of our fine, fine Ruin someone's holiday with SequelCast merchandise. They'll get this and they, they'll say, what's a SequelCast? I don't get it. And they say, I don't know, but it's a <laughs> gift for you. Uh... If you go to Amazon, or on SequelCast.com, we have links to movies and stuff to buy on Amazon. If you click on that, we get a little uh, bit off the top. A little something, a little something. something, we something get, we that get helps to us out, which is great. wet our beak, as I like to say. Yeah, Thrasher loves wetting the beak. Uh, and you can check out our Facebook page to interact with us at Facebook.com slash SequelCast, or you can send us an email at SequelCast at gmail.com. Did I miss anything? I think I got everything. I think you got it all. Okay, uh... And also on SequelCast.com, we post news and reviews sometimes. Uh, I recently posted a news item about Kevin Smith announced that his last film is going to be Clerks 3, and we recently talked about his U.S. Universe uh, series of films. So what do you think about that? Mm-hmm. Clerks 3. D- didn't he Didn't he already make that promise about his last film? What it was is he oh, was going to do a, uh, well, Red State, and then he said he was going to do a hockey film called Hit Somebody, and that script grew so large he wants to do Hit Somebody as a TV miniseries. And so he said, well, I still want to do one last film. Let's make it Clerks 3. But he hasn't locked the cast in. He hasn't started on the script. It's a long ways off. And apparently uh, Jeff Anderson, who plays Randall, uh, the taller, skinnier guy, um, is sort of hesitant to hop on reportedly. But Yeah, that, se- that seems unnecessary. Yeah. Unless he can somehow make it the Viewist Universe film to end all Viewist Universe films. I never thought... You know, that could be with the... Even the shitload more cameos than Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back had. Yeah, I, and then somehow everyone dies. Everyone would die in an apocalypse. That could happen. Um, do you think he would do a Clerks 3 with um, them still being at the uh, Quick Mart? The Quick Stop? I I have this... Well, I, I ha- have a feeling that it's, it's, it's going to start out with their lives exactly where they were 
before, so the video place will probably be open again, and Randall will probably be there. Or no, Dante will probably be there, and Randall will be back at the quick stop. I hope uh, whenever Kevin Smith makes uh, Clerks 3, if it actually happens, which it looks like it, it will, fingers crossed, I hope he films it in black and white. Because that was such a defining thing in that first film. And he hasn't done a black and white film since then. I think that'd be a really nice uh, touch. But uh, you can check out more fun news stories like that at SequelCast.com. Back to this SequelCast episode on National Lampoon's European Vacation. Is there any last thing you want to talk about that we didn't mention? Um, no, I think we've covered this uh, We've covered this film pretty yeah, well. Yeah, this so-so sequel. Uh, so now it's time to rate this film out of five stars. I will begin. National Lampoon's European Vacation is not as fun as the first vacation. You have... Uh, Neat, neat scenery, some fun uh, sight gags, but the plot kind of meanders, the pacing isn't as great, it's just uh, not as funny. I give National Lampoon's European Vacation two out of five stars. Yeah, I think I'm going to have to go give it two as well. If these were just isolated vignettes, I, I would enjoy each of them at a three to four star level, but... As a movie, they just do not work. Uh, nothing is at stake, and then that whole kidnapping subplot of, or kid, kidnapping resolution—it just doesn't do anything for hmm. me. So now we're going to do uh, pitch a sequel, and we should pretend no sequels were made to National Lampoon's European Vacation, and uh, talk about what we would do if we were coming up with a direct sequel to this film. I think you know you kind of set up National Lampoon's Vacation. The first is in the U.S. European Vacation is in Europe. So I think you would uh, go really bizarre, National Lampoon's Antarctic vacation. Somehow they end up in Antarctica, in the freezing tundra, with the... Not Asia, no, not, not Asia, uh, Australia, what you would think, right? not, not Australia, places with a lot of people. Antarctica, where there's almost no people. The Griswolds as a family really are stuck together on a vacation with no one else to go. And a Cousin Eddie and his family sneaks in the back of their, in their luggage somehow. They end up with him. So... How do they prevent from freezing to death? A part of it would deal with survival. You probably have some action scenes with them fighting a penguin or a polar bear, depending on where they are. They cut their cousin open and crawl inside. Yeah, maybe they, they cut uh, Cousin Eddie's uh, dog open to crawl inside. The dog snots from National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Maybe they crawl inside him. Although we're pretending Christmas Vacation didn't exist, so... Whatever. But I, that's what I would do is National... No, no, it can be a midpoint. A, a midpoint, yeah. No, I, I, that's what I pitch for a sequel... For my pitch a sequel, National Lampoon's Antarctic Vacation. Thrasher, what's your pitch a sequel? Well, because I want some consequences from this film, my sequel, as much as I want to take them to New York or Japan mm. or Australia or South America, I am, in fact, going to make my sequel National Lampoon's Prison Vacation. Oh, huh. Where, nice. uh, at the beginning of the film... Uh, the entire Griswold family, including including the, their uncle, because he has some interesting dealings, are all extradited to Europe, where they are put on trial for all of the destruction they did in European vacation, and are sentenced to are sentenced to a, uh, a European prison camp for uh, international criminals. So uh, at first, at first they're horrified, but each member of the Griswold family kind of comes in uh, comes into their own. There's an attempted uh, there's an attempted uh, prison break 
which the Griswolds kind of get sucked up in. But during the course of the prison break, they end up foiling the master plan of one of Europeans, one of one of Europeans, one of Europe's top criminal geniuses, who's kind of a parody of a Bond villain. Mm. We'll we'll call him Suckfield as a parody of Blofeld. What the uh. hell? I'm sure they eat that gag up. And uh, because they spoil his evil plan, they're forgiven and are set free at the end of the movie and go back to the United States. Interesting. I, I think, yeah, prison would be a fun place for the Griswolds to go as well. Uh, prison would be a fun place for a husband and wife and two children. Absolutely. Uh, oh, and as the children, uh, Macaulay Culkin sure. and uh, someone else. Okay, and someone Mind else. Mind you, this would be like fr- made in the 80s. So, the 80s. Macaulay so it'd be a very young Macaulay Culkin. And um, who else could... That, what the hell? The girl from Curly Sue. Let's screw with their ages. Uh, well, they do screw with the ages later in the films, I think. In exactly. the Christmas Vacation, Rusty is younger. So while well, he's older in the other ones, or that's how it appears. One of the original Rusty died, and they had another child. Rusty. Rusty. Oh, that's how they, they do it between and, each film. And Prison Vacation explains how he died. But also explains that Clark isn't the father of the second Rusty. Wayne Newton is. <laughs> save, save it for save Vegas, Vegas Vacation. vacation. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, all right. So uh, now we're going to do our final segment of Sequel Cast. What you're watching, <laughs> in which you talk about a piece of media, oh. whether it be book, video game, uh, movie. I really TV don't show. think we need all this exposition. We don't know. We just talk about what. Okay. What we're so doing. that's what we've been. Enjoying the past uh, week, I. Uh, why don't you go, Thrasher? Oh, okay. Well, uh, I started watching the. Uh, excuse me. Started watching the Treasure Island miniseries directed by Steve Barron, which uh, we actually talked about in a sequel cast episode forty-one for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which features an interview with director Steve. Yeah, Barron. when I interviewed him, he was a little bit irritated that I was asking if Treasure Island was a comedy. Because I could not find very much details about that uh, production because it was being filmed at the time. And um, he was like, no, 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 it's serious. And uh, so is the tone pretty serious, pretty dark? Well, yeah, that's one thing that, that actually has really impressed me about it is that, it, is that it's very serious. And uh, Eddie Izzard plays the most subtle, down-to-earth version of Long John Silver I've ever seen, which... Normally, I don't think I would like because that is a character that traditionally is very heightened, very over the top. But he's so good at it; I think it works really, really well. I mean, it's it, and it's not as if Treasure Island is really a, a very comical story, but it's such an adventure story that those kind of elements tend to be played up in adaptations. But this is a very grim, gritty, down-to-earth retelling of the story. At least in the first episode, things may change in the second, and I'm sure I'll comment on that next episode. Yeah, because how is it like four hours altogether, or is it like three hours? Uh, I did not look okay. at the time duration uh, when I when I played it. Uh, I just I just kind of dived in. I'll definitely have to check that out. It it looks really interesting. Uh, my wife and I both are like Eddie Izzard. In fact, uh, my wife got to see Eddie Izzard do a stand up comedy in Portland, Oregon, um, like Excellent. seven years ago I, I or th- something. I think you'll enjoy yeah. it. And Elijah Wood is quite good in it as well. Really interesting casting. He he plays Ben the- Gunn. Yeah, okay. The crazy native guy on the island. Okay, wait, no, I take that back, because I haven't seen Elijah Wood show up in oh. the movie yet. I just assume he's good. Uh, he looked good in one of the trailers. I believe so. that's the character he plays. I could be wrong in the name. No, he does play okay, Ben Okay, gotcha. Um, I got to rent the, the latest Pixar film, Brave, 
over the cool. weekend and was uh, kind of disappointed. And uh, mind you, I've uh, seen all the Pixar about? films except for Cars 2, and I stopped watching Cars halfway through. I can barely stand to drive a car, let alone watch a feature-length cartoon about them. Uh, <laughs> but have, have you seen this film, Brave? Yes, yes. I've, okay. I've seen all of uh, Pixar's theatrical releases today. Great. So, uh, spoilers for Brave coming up. Warning, warning. I think that's fair. If we announce yeah. it beforehand, sure. Um, Might as well. I, I think the story was kind of more uh, shallow than I expected. I don't know. I mean, it, it, really? it, I mean, it is a movie... Uh, the first time Pixar are doing a so-called princess movie, uh, and yet, you know, she has a more active role in the story. But I, I was really hoping for the character of the witch to make some sort of a comeback. You know what? I, I'll admit I kind of wanted to see the, the, the witch again, but I don't think it would have served the story to have her Do you think it was intentional for the witch to look almost exactly like the witch in uh, Miyazaki's film Spirited Away? With the big nose and the eyes and everything, she does not look exactly like uh, Yubaba from. Spirit she looks Away. similar. Well, the thing is, they, they both have all the classic marks of a crone. Yes, an elongated, bent nose, a wart, crazy eyes, stringy hair. Th- that's not that's not Pixar trying to trying to to steal from Studio Ghibli. That's just the that's just the visual vocabulary we have for the crone archetype. Um, so I I, th- I think that's where that comes from. I, I I don't think that they're trying to steal the character design. She has a different head shape, different body type. At the end of the scene where uh, or not the scene at the end of the film where they get the a fight against the bear who uh, the character's mother is a bear and the father doesn't like bears and is finding this bear. I was really hoping that accidentally the the father uh, the husband you know would kill his own wife in the heat of battle and then come to an awful, awful realization. And then she turned to human again, sort of like a, a werewolf, uh, take off. I, I was prepared for something like that to happen. Yeah. But frankly, if they did that, the movie would be a tragedy and it prevents a real final reconciliation between the mother and the daughter. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad that didn't happen. Visually. It's a very pretty film. The, the environments in particular look great. The uh, the human characters look less cartoony than in other Pixar stuff. Um, they have a bit more it's amazing character design. Uh, yeah. Um, the I, I don't know. I just found it a little bit predictable. I was just expecting a little bit something more, something to to sort of feast on afterwards. It didn't it didn't stick to my ribs like say Toy Story three or Wall-E or Ratatouille did. Well, you know what you know what it might be is that it, it, it is that you know it's. When it comes down to it, it's a story about the mother-daughter relationship, and that's a relationship that I am incapable of having because I am neither a mother nor a daughter. <laughs> uh, that being said, I loved this film. Did you like uh, it had some uh, montage sequences with uh, songs with lyrics? Did you like those parts? Uh, I only remember one such montage towards the beginning. There was, I think, was there another two. One? Where she's training the bear how to oh, hunt, you're right, you're right. With how the, to get the fish, with the, the river yeah. eating fish. Yeah. Uh, no, I felt they worked. I thought it was it was nice that they went with some actual some actual uh, uh, Celtic music. I mean, you know, I guess it wasn't it wouldn't have been like the older Disney style of the characters bursting out into song. This is how right. you catch well, a fish I, from the river. One fish. No, that's at what I like time. about Pixar. They don't do that. They don't. They don't do uh, Disney bullshit. 
Well, when all Pixar is owned by Disney, so that's a... <laughs> oh, yeah, but they don't do Disney bullshit. Uh, that's, why I, that's why I still look forward to their films. I really want to see Wreck-It Ralph, which is Disney and not Pixar. I'm very curious about that Very one. worth is seeing. It? Okay. Uh, now, did you like Wreck-It Ralph better than uh, Brave? Um, please don't make me choose, but I think I did... Okay, Brave is a better work of art, but Wreck-It Ralph is a better movie. It's also a very densely packed movie. Mm. Uh, I, f- I feel like the people who made that movie didn't think they'd ever have a chance to make Another this kind one. of movie yeah. with this kind of premise ever again. So they did every possible thing they thought they would be able to do if it, in a franchise with one Did movie. you see what the Japanese title of Wreck-It Ralph was? Uh, Sugar Rush. Makes sense. Because that they with the kind of artwork and that sort of cutesy segment uh, appealed more to Japanese audiences. Well, also the Sugar Rush themes by uh, HKB48, uh, which is, I believe, currently the top top grossing uh, uh, f- uh, all-female singing group in Japan. Oh, is it? Okay. Uh, I know... They're, they're apparently quite popular right now. Uh, I didn't know that. I need to see the film. I have listened to the uh, the titular uh, song by Buckner and Garcia, which was very, very amusing. That, <laughs> that was brilliant. I... I, I typically now sit through the credits of any movie I see now, and I just like was thrilled and cracked up during that segment. And then I had to, then afterwards, I had to explain yeah. to my girlfriend who Buckman and Garcia were, and, and uh, we we had a good chuckle over Pac-Man Fever. Yep. But it's full of things like it's full of references and and things that you won't get unless you're familiar with the hit, the whole history of uh, of video games. It's a very video game literate film. Uh, yeah, I could tell that it, just it's from the trailer. It's what video game movie should be. I could tell that just from the trailer. I'd be, yeah, I'm very, very curious in watching that one. Um, oh, but uh, don't watch the uh, don't watch the the trailer for the Wreck It Ralph game for the Wii. It spoils the entire movie from beginning to end. Were you watching the trailer for the Wii video game just by happenstance, or? Well, no. After I saw the movie, uh, I think I think I, I had posted online about how if there was a Wreck-It Ralph video game based on on the movie, and it was true to the movie, it would be really worth playing. And somebody, ah, okay, posted that. And then I started get I started seeing other people's posts about it, and that was one of the posts. Like th- this is the trailer. The game looks good, but it spoils the whole movie. And I watched the trailer just to see, and yes, it did. And apparently. The comment section on that video is just, how could you do this? Because <laughs> apparently several people saw the, saw that game. Before watching before the movie. The yeah. Um, yeah. I wasn't aware they made a Wii game. I do know for the uh, iPhone and stuff, they came out with a sort of collection of three mini games. One of which is like Fix-It Felix Jr. Fix-It Felix Jr. And um, there's something based off the Sugar Rush where you're climbing... The, these candy things and like I haven't and there's a sort of shooting part with the um, shooting part of the movie where they're in the sort of the sci-fi setting. Oh, Heroes he- Duty. Yeah. <laughs> Heroes Duty. That's pretty funny. Uh, so but that's interesting. The you know they don't make video games based on movies that much anymore. Where it's like a full game. It'll be more likely like a, a portable game or a, a website game, Facebook game or something. So I think we've talked. Uh, what we have about National Lampoon's European Vacation <laughs> on this episode of Sequel Cast, we did a good job. Uh, tune in next week, where we'll be talking about the next film of the franchise, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, which happens to, which happens to be the highest-grossing film in the series. Um, 
So uh, check us out at SequelCast.com. You can check me out uh, on Twitter at SequelCast, or you can check out Thrasher at Internet Mayor. For the SequelCast, this is Matt. And this is Thrasher. Saying... Oh, no, it's quite all right. You only scratched my leg a bit. It, it, I'm, I'm terribly sorry I got in your way. I'm terribly sorry. No, no, I wouldn't dream of it. I, I, I do hope you don't hit me again, though. I, I, I'm sure we won't run into each other again. Oh, wait, there you're all 20 minutes later. Oh. <laughs> pig in a poke, it's a pig in a poke. I don't remember how that song goes. <laughs>